So it really is my pleasure to introduce our speaker this evening um, because she is literally my favorite person. She's a wonderful mother to two boys. She's the principal of Churchill Academy here in Richmond's East End. Um, before serving in that role, she taught high school for many, many years. I don't know how many, 13, 14, felt like a long time. Um, she has an extraordinary mind. She's a gifted and engaging communicator. She is the person for whom I am most grateful. And I get to be her husband. Ladies and gentlemen, Libby Germer. Oh man, Kevin, thank you for saying those very sweet things. It's a little funny to be doing this tonight just because Kevin, as many of you know, was on sabbatical from uh, May through August. And so for four months, we did not get to be a part of our church family of 15 years. Um, when we returned, we saw some of you actually for the very first time, and many of you, old, dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been reuniting with this last month. And so it's neat. I see my parents-in-law in Texas. I see my dad in Seattle. I see my mom, who's actually in my living room. Um, but it's really beautiful to have this basically like family. This is my, this is our family. And I'm so grateful to get to be with you all tonight. That includes you, Arthur Reppert, all the way from the beach. God bless you. I'm so happy to see you tonight. Um, so I am amazed that I was asked to get to do this tonight to kick off our gratitude deep dive at Christ Presbyterian Church. Um, I feel both totally uh, unqualified qualified because I don't feel very grateful all the time and I'm still figuring out this whole um, life of gratitude thing. I also feel glad for the opportunity because it reminded me to take a break, take a breath and think about gratitude again because sometimes we only do it on that one auspicious event uh, towards the end of Thanksgiving we sit around, if I'm lucky enough, I'm sitting at the Wiberley's table and they've prepared the meal and I just get to be asked, what am I thankful for? That's something I've enjoyed doing. But um, this is bigger. We're gonna go deeper and we're gonna, I hope, learn some things from each other tonight. And I'm, I'm glad to kick that off. So um, sometimes I think when um, we think about gratitude, we think about like, what our modern culture does, which is, you know, thank a teacher, thank your bus driver, thank your mom, um, thank the universe. That's kind of a new thing. Just like, I'm thankful to the universe. Um, and I, I thought might might be helpful tonight for me just to say, uh, for me, the only kind of gratitude that really makes sense in this really big and sometimes unknowable world that something I do know is the creator God and what a profound thing to be able to say that humans could know God but we can know God through Jesus Christ his life and teachings and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit I actually believe that and I'm I'm so glad to be able to say that I still believe that I, I always wondered if maybe when I was a little girl and I grew up in the church that at some point all of those thoughts and things I'd been taught uh, would change. And they have not, they've, um, my roots have gone deeper and 
and I'm grateful for that. So tonight when I'm talking about gratitude, it's not um, a generic type of gratitude, but, but a kind that is um, ultimately inexpressible, but I'm sure going to try it every day of my life um, to the creator God. And why? Why do we do this? Why do we sometimes feel prompted to do it? And why are we going to spend the next 40 minutes thinking about why to do it? Um, here's why. Because despite a global pandemic, record high inflation, nations at war, and natural disasters that seem to be intensifying due to global temperatures and our over-dependence on fossil fuels, well, life is good. Um, I'm going to quote next from a Dutch article written in a now defunct online journal. This article was written in 2019, but it reminded me of a book I read and I thought I'd use props tonight. This book by Gail Collins called When Everything Changed, and here's the subtitle, The Amazing Journey of American Women from 1960 to the Present. I remember reading this book in the early 2000s as a newlywed which is funny now, it was 20 years ago, but I, I was thinking, man, life's really hard. You know, I'm, I'm the domestic around here and I'm in charge of all the meals for two people. Imagine, I thought that was hard, but um, this book really gave me some insight, some helpful and necessary insight that being a person who cares for the home right now is sure a lot easier than it used to be. So to quote um, a large chunk from this article, this is why um, this article is entitled, The Great Paradox of Our Time. Everything is both better and worse than ever before. <laughs> Here we go. Global life expectancy has more than doubled in the past century, rising to an all-time high of 72. More wealth has been created in the last four decades than in all of human history before then. Two centuries ago, eight in 10 people still lived in extreme poverty. Today, that number is fewer than one in 10. War, disease, and natural disasters altogether now claim fewer lives than in any point in human history. In 1800, nearly half of all children died before the age of five. Today, that figure is less than 4%. Um, daily life has grown considerably more enjoyable as well. In the 19th century, people, read mostly women, spent an average of 58 hours per week, per week on household chores, their 21st century counterparts have whittled this down to fewer than 18 hours. Over this same period, hours spent working outside the home, read mostly men, have been slashed in half down to around 40 hours per week, which is what most of us have been able to enjoy. So with those thoughts on our minds, that as the author wrote, everything is both better and worse than it's ever been, I'm going to attempt to lie to lay out five truths and a lie like that. Remember that little fun game, two truths and a lie. This is like five truths and a lie. And I hope this will encourage you to thank God for good and bad things, because it's good to give thanks. I think Harry would sing a song about that. 
It's good to give thanks to the Lord, and it feels good to give thanks. And there's a lot to be thankful for, no matter how bad your day was. So to begin my uh, five truths and a lie, I want to talk to you a little bit about what I did today and what I do most days. High school hallways and classrooms where thank yous are hard to come by, but authenticity is appreciated. The teachers at my high school will spend hours writing lesson plans, crafting rubrics and grading papers with copious individualized comments, and no one will probably thank them. I will substitute teach for a teacher who calls out the morning of. I'll cancel meetings and plans. I'll manage their students' behavior while carrying out lesson plans that may or may not go off without a hitch. And no one will thank me. Our kitchen staff will plan nutritious and delicious meals according to rigorous school nutrition program guidelines. They will chop vegetables that may be tossed directly into a garbage can. They will serve hot meals that some students like and some don't, and no one will probably thank them. Many of my students will get up early tomorrow to help their siblings get ready for school, make sure they've done their homework. They'll have their bags packed when the bus arrives. Some will also take care of their, their young siblings overnight while their parents work a night shift, and no one will thank them. And bus drivers? Almost no high school student ever has thanked their bus driver for the ride. So, wow. Why in the world do we keep getting up and doing it? <laughs> um, because we, we really know we're not doing this for the thanks, right? I mean, most of us, I think if you thought about your day just now, you probably did things for others that no one noticed or that they took for granted. And I bet you're gonna get up and do it again tomorrow, probably because you love those people or maybe you're just paid to care for them, but you won't do it for the thanks. And I, I actually think that's really good. And I, I wish that we all got thanked all the time. I wish somebody would say, oh, Mrs. Germer, thank you so much for these wonderful uniform policies that you've created. Oh, I, we love your uniform policies. They're just the best. But today I actually had a very long conversation with a young lady who was saying just the opposite. Your uniform policies should really take a hike is basically what she said. Um, so then there's teacher appreciation week because I, I don't want you to think, you know, it's all horrible. And, and those of you who are teachers are probably thinking, well, Libby, you know, actually my students do thank me and what's wrong with you. But let me show you some of the, glorious trinkets that I've acquired over the years and that now as a principal of a school I get to bestow on others meaningful gifts like a pen that's very useful a very useful tool one of my favorites at a recent teacher um, uh, showcase of workshop thing was this very handy measuring tape which I've used and will continue to use for years to come. If anyone wants to borrow it, I have it. An actual paperweight, which is handcrafted by an artisan and I actually really like, so I'm not knocking that. This was a useful tool. It's both creative, cute, and a flash drive. So I could 
save my lesson plans on a flash drive. Lanyards, Hope knows because she went to my school. We have many a lanyard as a gift for both teachers and students. Who hasn't gotten a carabiner in the last few decades? Very useful, whether or not you climb mountains or not. Um, T-shirts, you know, it's for most of us in the modern world, it's death by a thousand T-shirts. I am, I'm really showing you this most useful, actually my favorite of all time, because it's dual purpose, both a fashionable bracelet and a flash drive. So it's like, you know, that's a lot right there. And it's cute. So, oh my gosh, I almost forgot a clock, which needs a battery. And I always forget about that, but it's, you know, that, that is glamorous and hope you can borrow it anytime. Um, the reason I'm sharing these things with you is, is not because, oh my gosh, they're so terrible. I mean, who could say that about a, a golden mug? It's useful and I actually do use it and I look at it and I think I appreciate this. And I, and I felt appreciated when I got it. The reason I show you these things is just to point out that at the end of the day, we don't do it for the stuff either. So you might do your job and you may hope that at some point somebody would notice the hard work you're doing and comment on that. And at some point, of course, it's nice to be given promotions and special gifts and those are very helpful things too. But, but some of you, especially those of you who are grandparents, you know the difference, and, and I'll give you a rough draft, but you know the difference in these two kinds of thank yous. You, um, let's say you go and you open your mailbox and inside there's a familiar looking uh, address and it's from your grandchild and, and you open it and the letter says something like this. Dear granddad, thank you very much for the soccer ball. I kicked it today. It is a good soccer ball. Thank you, granddad. And you are a good granddad. So that, that's one kind of thank you letter. First of all, my grandma would have appreciated that kind of letter because she never got one. Well, not enough from me at least. And it's good etiquette. However, Usually my parents can tell that I sat my child down and forced them to write the letter and it feels that way. I mean, could you tell, could you tell it sounded a little canned, a little forced? The thank you, thank you granddad for the soccer ball. It kicks nicely, you know, things like that. The opposite is something that my older son, who would be embarrassed to know that I'm mentioning him, but Every once in a while, my older son will do this very secretive, surreptitious thing. It's unprompted. I think it's authentic. He'll come up next to me and he'll say, thanks, mom. And he'll like bump me. It's, it's like a hug, but not really a hug. It's kind of like it hurts a little bit, but it, it hurts so good because I know it's his way of saying thanks. And I can tell it's authentic And these days because those things are hard to come by. I'm so grateful. I, I really receive it. I know that he meant it. And um, I think we all know the difference. So remember that this is a gratitude. To me, it, it seems like fake it till you make it doesn't actually work with gratitude. That authenticity is better. It's preferred by both the receiver and it is more meaningful to us, the giver. 
a second truth about gratitude that I've learned um, in the, the hallways of the high school, I guess. I think this is true. Comfort can lead us to complacency. Comfort. And so, you know, all those the statistics I was reading earlier and this book about the modern housewife and how, you know, the advent of the um, Hoover vacuum cleaner really made things better for everybody. And it's true. But it's led to the modern world, the thing that you and I are a part of where, you know, you go to the grocery store and I don't know about you, but like the Kroger grocery aisle is terrifying in its abundance. It is overwhelming, right? I mean, I love, I love about three cereals, but there is the cereal and then there's the generic brand. And then there's the super healthy natural brand in like an earth tone kind of box. And so there's like, even just the one kind has multiple variations and price points. And it's a lot, you know about it. You're in this with me, I think. I'm so grateful for all of that again, but I've noticed that that kind of comfort, this kind of abundance and plenty has for me led to some complacency, if I'm being honest. Um, I'd love to tell you a story that is some, it's a story I didn't share for a long time because it was so darn embarrassing, but something that happened to me, um, is that for six years, I had a bliss filled part-time teaching job at the Maggie L Walker governor's school. And it was just like, Oh, it was the easiest job in the world. I'd say to the young students, all right, everyone, tonight your homework will be, and like before I could finish my sentence, they'd have their notebooks out and they were just writing down the assignment. They couldn't do it quickly enough. Such apt pupils. And I got to do that for six years and I got to do that in a part-time capacity while having little babies at home. And it was just like this tremendous hybrid working home thing. It was so great. And then they decided that they needed a full-time teacher and I didn't, I wasn't ready to be a full-time teacher. And so they said, well, it's basically part-time or, or sorry, full-time or no time. And so some of you may have remembered that I then rendezvoused over to a local private school and I was there for about a year, a year. And I ended up eventually working in, um, one of the hardest high schools in our city. I ended up in a Richmond public school on the South side that was nothing like Maggie Walker. And for better or for worse, I was just doing really new kinds of jobs, new work, new things. I was um, holding students for five to six hours while there was drama downstairs that, anyway, testing for six hours, the kinds of things that Richmond Public High School students are accustomed to, but I wasn't, and I learned them by being there. A couple of conclusions from that time in my life, you know, after the job search culminated in finding not the job I thought I was looking for, but the job I needed, which was to teach at that school. A couple of conclusions for me were that we often don't realize how good we have it until we don't have it. And and that was important for me. Uh, I also learned that I needed to see it to believe it. There is an incredible disparity in the educational environments of our city's high schools. And I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have really known that 
until I was in it. And lastly, the thing I took away from that was like, oh my gosh, they, they didn't need me. <laughs> Why was that so shocking? But that high school, you know, they had a need and I didn't fill their need. And so they didn't need me and that, boy, that hurt. Um, but wow, I really needed a reality check. And I got that. And now I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the hard lesson learned. Kroger Clicklist, Netflix, Grubhub, online bill pay, Uber, Nextdoor, all of this ease is making me a little impatient. It's making me a little ungrateful. Every once in a while, I realize, gosh, you know, I had to wait two whole minutes for my computer to load. It was horrifying. The two minutes were so long. Wow. Okay. Um, when I opened scripture, I'm reminded that there was Jonah praising God from the belly, probably very smelly stomach of a large fish. And there was Job after losing everything, praising God in the midst of the most discomfort that most humans will ever feel. And so sometimes, unfortunately, it just has seemed to me, and again, that the truth here that I was trying to get us to was that comfort can lead us to complacency. Sometimes the discomfort is necessary to rattle out the gratitude that we are withholding from God when we've gotten too complacent. Well, now it's time for a lie. So two truths and now a lie, and then some more truths. I believe that there is a problem and I have this problem. It's in me. And it's like the self-reliance cycle. Sometimes I settle for unsafe or even unsatisfactory because I don't want to appear appear ungrateful. Let me give you an example. At my school where I currently teach, we rent space from a church and the church is a big old, wonderful church. And it's a gift. We're, we're grateful to have the use of it. But every once in a while, we run into issues like very old plumbing systems, very old electrical and heating and cooling systems. And those, they give us a little trouble every once in a while. I had a magnificent teacher for three years who taught in a classroom. And just to give you some background on this guy, he had been a Peace Corps volunteer. He has worked in um, and served in uh, many developing nations. And, you know, he never mentioned to me that the outlets in his room sometimes sparked. He never even mentioned to me until the day that he was leaving to go to his new position that the computer he had been using for years, which was a school-issued laptop, actually shocked him when he touched it. At every single time he touched the laptop, it, it physically shocked him. And so I love him. Oh my gosh, best employee ever. But that was unsafe. And, and then even this year, in, as he's left us, um, the fire marshal, we, well, we failed the fire inspection. And we did so because the fire marshal went into that classroom and said, what's going on in here? You've got all these old two-pronged outlets. Some of them have little, you know, black char around the actual outlet. What is happening in here? 
you must have these converted, you know, to, and upgraded to three pronged grounded outlets. And I said, Oh, I just, I didn't even know. Thanks for telling it. We fixed it. Don't worry. We've passed our fire inspection this year, but that's an example for me of something I do sometimes too. I'm so darn sure that I would appear ungrateful or, or heaven help me needy. If I asked for help, even when it's, eh, I could use some help. Sometimes I don't do that because I, I'm too proud. Um, and that keeps me actually from really being grateful. Here's another example of this self-reliance cycle kind of uh, blowing up in my face. Um, I have led this little school throughout COVID, the pandemic. And at one point, a homeless gentleman moved into the building with us, the employees, the, the students weren't there because they were all learning from home, but we had a literally a homeless gentleman living in the upstairs of the building. We didn't know. And when we met him, he was rather affable. He did eat all the snacks in the building and left it a little messy, but we took care of all that. During the same two weeks that the gentleman moved in, um, someone stole all the catalytic converters off of our school buses in the parking lot. So it just was like, oh boy, it really does feel like the sky is falling here. Um, I knew about the catalytic converters only because I was the bus driver who was going to pick up some students for a Monday tutoring session. And the bus sounded like um, a jet engine and I still drove it. I just thought it was me. Maybe I was overreacting. I drove that van like just blazes and I picked everybody up and people were looking at me strangely and I didn't know why. And um, I guess my point here is this that it is not ungrateful of us to ask for help when we need it. In fact, that probably uh, would show not just sanity, but like our, uh, it would remind us and those watching us that we are in need. And, and that's not ungrateful. I, I just wanted to point that out because sometimes I've thought, um, and it's, it's a, a regret I have that I don't need help and that um, it would be ungrateful of me to ask for it. But here's some good truth, good truth about gratitude. Rumination hurts, but reflection helps. Um, some of us struggle with rumination. I can say that because I know a lot of you pretty well. And some of us, we have this perseveration problem where we think about the thing that happened two years ago, three years ago, and we fixated on it. And we're so fixated on it that we actually have a hard time moving on. And that rumination, that cycle of like, man, if I had just done it differently, if I could just go back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that really hurts us that it keeps us from lives of gratitude because we're actually like reliving the past, which is a totally purposeless, endeavor. Reflection though, reflecting on the past, the things that have been, um, asking God for help, for forgiveness, um, and even just for the strength sometimes to move on, that seems very healthy. Um, I have a friend named Sarah Hill, her husband Keith pastored St. Giles Church for a long time. And Sarah told me a story once that she had heard. I mean, it's more of a metaphor, but the idea is this, 
Many of us have had hard things happen in our life. And when they do, it is like that hard thing is a rock thrown into the lake of our life. Okay, so imagine when a rock is thrown into a lake, what happens immediately? You're probably thinking, yes, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing Meredith in her kitchen. It's rippling out. Yep. So the rock, it sinks. But as the rock is sinking, ripples are coming out and they're extending. And the longer we would stand and watch that rock and the effects of the rock ripple out, the longer we stood there, the farther and farther away the ripples would go. And Sarah's point in reminding me of that was that when horrible or hard things happen in our lives, at first, they really break the surface. They really rock us. They really ripple out and we feel the effects. But over time, those things lessen. But what doesn't ever happen is that the rock goes away. You know, the rock is still down there at the bottom of the lake of your life. The rock is there. It reminds you that, yes, that did happen. But the effects of it, and in my case, the, the rumination over it, that needs to dissipate. And sometimes that would, I think, help us to be living lives of gratitude. My first year of teaching, I was up in New Jersey. Kevin was in seminary at Princeton, and he um, watched me enter the teaching life. And most days it was a lot of fun, and I came home just with plenty of great stories. But you know, my first year, I was teaching students. The year was 2000, I can't remember, 2005. And I taught a student who had lost his dad in the World Trade Center. And that young man was, you know, his whole life had been shattered by what had happened during 9-11. And his father um, was a really wonderful dad. There were two children in his family. So the young man I taught and then his sister who I later taught. And at first when their father died, they uh, were just angry, you know, for years, they were just angry. And I actually remember this kid, when I first met him, he went through that, like, um, there was a, a punk, there was kind of like a special kind of rock, um, uh, genre that he loved and he wore his hair really high and flat and he wore really high shoes like creepers and he just went through like he only wear black he only wore black for years and he was so angry and then his mom was um, a part of a group of people who kind of got really involved in a conspiracy theory about 9-11 and who did it and you know and there she kind of spun out spiraled and they're a totally different family now. And I mean that in the best way because I check in with them most Septembers and I say, how are you doing, sir? And he became a doctor and he and his wife and children live in Portland, Oregon, and he's committed to peaceful um, living. And he is really a, um, a gentle person. He was changed by his dad's death for sure, he's probably still quite angry about what happened that day and how things could have been better. <laughs> but he, he doesn't ruminate anymore. He just reflects and he's, a, he's been changed and become, has become a more tender and grateful person. Um, the second to last truth I'd like to name tonight is that when we 
speak about God's provision, it leads to an uncommon generosity of spirit, something that we have within us that is like almost inexplicable. I think of my very favorite janitor at that super hard high school where I sometimes um, could see many colleagues falling by the wayside. You know, I'd walk into that high school in the mornings and um, a good third of the people who really should have been there were there. The other two thirds would kind of trickle in as the kids came in, but we weren't in place on time. We weren't really ready to go. I'd see people on a Thursday afternoon. I'd say, how you doing? And they'd go, oh, just one more day. You know, we were, it, morale was low. But this janitor, Mr. Johnson, every time I saw him, I'd say, how are you doing, sir? And he always said, I've never had it so good. And I was like, Mr. Johnson, you really, I mean, for real though, man, like I know what you just cleaned up in that upstairs hallway. Like I, I know I've seen that bathroom. I've seen all the stuff. I know what you deal with. And he's like, I've never had it so good. And he worked in the school system for over 30 years. He just retired two years ago and um, they threw a huge party for him. And this thing that he would say, I've never had it so good. Apparently it was kind of the refrain of the night because apparently he'd been saying it all along. That was always how he operated. That was, that was his way of doing his work. So when we live with a scarcity mindset, it makes us really interesting, right? Like desperate times lead to desperate measures. And when we're not feeling like we have a life of abundance, when we don't feel like we've never had it so good, when we're really concerned about scarcity and um, the tightness of things and how little we have and how little we have to offer, then we become very unkind, or at least I do. I was thinking about it. I'm my meanest on Saturdays. I mean, just ask Kevin, he'll be honest, that the weekend has only begun on Sunday, Saturday mornings, but on Saturday mornings, I'm my meanest to my children. I'm my meanest to Kevin. Probably the neighbors have heard me say, you know, take out the garbage. It's very, it's very drill sergeant over here. And I I've thought about that. Why am I like that? Why are Saturday mornings always hard? And I think it's because I wake up and I feel like the weekend is already over or it's ending, but it just started. And, and how dumb is that? So I become like a time miser. And by Saturday afternoon, usually I've kind of loosened up a little bit. Um, but that's interesting. That on the, the day of abundance, the day where I really have the fewest things planned, I am the most concerned um, about whatever. And everyone knows to steer clear of me until I've recovered my wits. I hope by Sunday morning when I see most of you, I've gotten back to myself. But what are your tricks? Because we all need some tricks for kind of catching ourselves. How do you catch yourself when you realize you've become a time miser or a drill sergeant and you have a scarcity mindset and you're not being kind to the people around you. How do you catch yourself? For me, and maybe, maybe it's going to sound very cliche because John did actually make these beautiful gratitude journals, but writing a list of things that you're grateful for, it's a great start. Um, reading scripture daily, 
just kind of a perspective setter. Listening to beautiful music, talking with a good friend who really knows you, talking to them and investing time in an inspirational movie or a, a great book. I think those kind of tricks that remind us of, again, just like the author of that, the um, article I quoted at the beginning, you know, everything is both better and worse than it's ever been. But that better part, like most of us live these lives of abundance, these lives of uh, amazing abundance. And we sometimes forget ourselves and we need to catch ourselves when we become ungrateful. My last truth before closing tonight is just that um, the bell for homeroom, the bell for homeroom will ring. It'll, it'll ring tomorrow morning. And uh, teachers will, I hope, be in place. There might be a change of plans. Somebody may be sick. A student might have moved. There will be something I can't quite plan for. It will happen. But there's a new adventure ahead. And that's the same for every one of us every day. We wake up and there is something that needs doing. You've been tasked with something and God's called you to do it. And that bell's gonna ring. And, I, and I'm really grateful for that personally. I'm, I'm glad to be a person who still feels called to the work I'm doing. I hope, I hope that you do, even if you're not working in a traditional sense, the way I've been speaking of. Um, but I pray that um, this talk, these moments we've had together would have been a help to you, meaningful. And I'm thankful for the chance to have been here with you. <laughs>